Uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're kind of coming out the back of a, a week where it's been unseasonably hot in the UK. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. not built for that. And uh, yeah, struggling. <laughs> it's been a weird weather situation everywhere. So. Yeah. Good kids. I mean, I, I run fairly unscripted, so it's it's yeah. We, we go as casually as can. In that case, we'll dive straight in. And welcome to the podcast, Emily. Thank you for having me. I mean, we, we covered slightly earlier. How are you today? You doing well? I am doing well. It is also quite hot here, so yeah. trying to battle that weather. Whereabouts are you? I am in Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yes, and not Boston. I think uh, there's a preconceived notion that Massachusetts is just Boston, the whole state, and it's not. <laughs> I live on the other side of the state with the trees and the okay. cows and all that. The inland. The, the, I don't yes. really know anything about Massachusetts. Well, then you're ahead of a lot of people. <laughs> there's the, nothing the, to know. The only thing which comes to mind <laughs> is like some weird reference to an episode of King of the Hill. And someone calls it Taxachusetts. That's also a Simpsons reference, yeah. Um, true. <laughs> we Man. have very high taxes here. <laughs> That's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know very true. little about it. But, you know, we'll move on from... Move on from <laughs> Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm terrible at introducing people, so I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Who are you, Emily? What do you do? But I'm terrible at introducing myself, so now we're at an impasse. I know. I... <laughs> yeah. One of us has to do it. And... <laughs> All right. My name is Emily Angle. I'm 37 years old. I am from Massachusetts in the United States, and I am a professional seamstress and Muppet replicator. It's a hell of a title. It's... I like it. I it like is. it. Not a bad title. I have quite a few people on who don't. Don't don't know how to title themselves because they work in many mediums. So right. it's, when you meet someone who I'm, has a speciality, I'm pretty streamlined. Um, yeah. I'm a seamstress before anything. So front and center se- seamstress. And you, I'm, I mean, I mean, I'm assuming you've been doing that for a while now. I have. Um, I have been doing it professionally for almost a decade now. Oh, wow. uh, before that, it was. It was sort of just, I wouldn't even call it a hobby. It was just sort of something I did. And it, it didn't even dawn on me that it would eventually be my passion, (laughs) but it turned out that way. Didn't go to school for it. Didn't have any fancy training or anything like that. It was all self-taught. Self-taught. Just took it on. So what do you, I mean, I guess that that poses the question now then, what did you do before Seamstress? Where are you from? I have, <laughs> I have a BA in English and entertainment journalism, actually. Oh, wow. You're actually the, the second guest I've had who <clears throat> studied for journalism and then abandoned journalism. <laughs> well, there is a reason for that. I, I, I would think <clears throat> if that person was around my age, maybe. Um, at that time, when I was just getting out of college, the internet blogging business was absolutely on fire it was just starting and 
print media started to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle because suddenly everybody was a writer and they could put all yeah. their stuff on the internet for free and nobody was buying print media. So the jobs were very scarce. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, <clears throat> I had a job uh, with a local newspaper for a while and it was just not my thing. No. Not my thing. I mean, I loved to write, but I wasn't able to write what I loved. So. Yeah. Which is usually why most people abandon a career in one yeah. way or another. I mean, that's certainly why I abandoned what I started off when I studied doing. Uh, I mean, I, I started off, my original plan was to go into film and, and study and, and make movies and do all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, when the realization of being a showrunner kicked in and the lack of opportunities, I just went, no. I want to make things. That's a that's not an easy business to break into, though. I mean, you mm-hmm. have to you have to be in certain places and have all the connections in the world. I mean, it's you have to give up everything in order to go that route and be willing to be very poor yeah. <laughs> and always struggling until maybe you get that shot. Ironically, I'm very poor now, and yeah, I still <laughs> abandoned. <it. laughs> Well, I mean, I wasn't even, go- I, I didn't even want to be in the movies and I had to do that. I had to be very, very poor for a long time in order to do what I want to do and make a living from it. Yeah. So, but you, you have to, you got to make that sacrifice. I feel, I kind of, I'm one of those people though. I feel like when you, when you've been through the situation and you've struggled in a way, it just makes you more determined to do oh, yeah. what you want to do. You're kind oh, of yeah. like, yeah, I've struggled for a while. Why would I then go sit in an office for 24 exactly. hours a day? Exactly. It's going to go. And- I, it, the people that I've, that I talked to about the situation, they're like, well, it's so cool that you're finally like making a living off of this. And you've got these opportunities. And I stress to them that this was so not fast. <laughs> it was not, a. I woke up one day and decided that I'm going to do this. And suddenly the paychecks rolled in. That's, so not the case at all i was living in a friend's basement on microwave popcorn for like three months in order to you know get things going and really dive into my trade it's it is an absolute sacrifice and if you really want to do something you can't have a normal job you have to dedicate yourself to it and you can't be distracted by anything else you can't which is ironic, considering we're talking about Muppets. Easily distracted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So obviously, I found you through social media means, as is the way nowadays. I mean, there's no real chance that we'd run into each other on the streets in two completely different areas of the world. So how else were we going to (laughs) do? And, you know, as much as I hate social media so much without it, no one would know what I do. I, and I, I am very happy. I often have that conversation just with myself of what, how I would even go about getting work out there if I had been this age in like the 90s. Right. And just, right. I, there'd be no real, like I'm crap at approaching people in general and do not, I'm not like a shouty about my own work kind of person. So that drive is just not there. It's like, yeah, no, I just, I'd probably just quit. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's weird to think about that, but then you know you consider well, people still made it back then; they still were noticed somehow. But it it is a, a hell of a lot easier to 
to get out there and throw your stuff out to the world all at once. Um, but at the same time, even if you do that, it, it's also not guaranteed. People are, you know, going to instantly, your stuff is not going to go viral immediately. It's not going to, you got to keep plugging away. Yeah. It's, it, I think it's, it's, it's more about, I guess more about repetition nowadays. Yes. It's, you know, oh, yes. Keep that stream going. Keep going. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's one thing which comes up on this podcast quite a lot because people say about struggling or having down periods and, you know, they're like, oh, they see so much content online and they see so much kind of going on in the world. Like, oh, well, I'm not doing anything. I feel bad about that. And it's like a lot of that isn't made at the time you're seeing it. Like with yourself saying, you know, it takes time to get through these process. A lot of it's just drip fed. You know, you make one mm-hmm. thing and then you drip feed it out. Over oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I did. Yeah. That's what I did with the Muppets, uh, the Muppet pictures I had. Um, is that I had those pictures or I was slowly updating them one by one. And once I got good shots of every single one, even though I made them, you know, a week ago, two weeks ago, I would sort of paste them out and say, okay, well, this is this replica. This is that replica and tag the right people and sort of aim it at a, at a good time where either Twitter was most active or you got, you really got to look into that stuff of like, when are the most people going to see this mm-hmm. and how and go from there. And knowing your, your target audience as well yes. Is, yes. is the key thing, which of course is how you got me because your target audience is people who enjoy Muppets. And I was in the subreddit <laughs> for Muppets. And I, you know, I, I really want to meet the person who doesn't like the Muppets, like who really just doesn't like them. I, I know and at least three people who are terrified of Muppets. That's different. That is, I, I understand <laughs> that because when I was a kid, I used to be afraid of one real specific Muppet. Um, we'll but yeah, we'll get into that. But yeah. um, <laughs> no, that I can see, it's kind of like having a fear of clowns, you know, like I understand that, but anyone who says downright, I hate them. They suck. They make me so unhappy. Like that, that can't exist. They're too full of joy. Even if yeah, it's slightly exactly. threatening joy, it's joy. <laughs> exactly. And that is the magic that Jim Henson brought to the world is that he made hundreds and hundreds of these little personalities that just make people happy and that, you know, exude positivity. You know, they all have their quirks and their flaws and they make silly jokes and sometimes they squabble amongst each other. But at the end of the day, they all love each other and they're all on this mission. And that is genius to me. And I think it's, it's something, I mean, it seems very, like, I don't know, obvious to say, but I don't think there's anything which has attempted that level of wholesome within media since the Muppets. Nothing's right. kind of come along. Everything has a little bit of an edge. Right. And... <laughs> Yeah, and now uh, today a lot of things have a lot of edge. I mean, I can't, I can't off the top of my head think of anything that's just purely positive like that that has come to fruition in the last fifteen years. I mean, again, yes, like you said, there's like pieces of positivity, but not altogether. Yeah. The closest I can think is maybe a few animated shows. Um... Like there's a, there's right. a few animated shows which have come out which have been, but then they never <clears> last long. That's it. They're like right. I mean I'm I'm a big fan of um, there's a show called Cupcake and Dino, and 
it's there's no edge to it at all. It's there's a there's a it's just funny and it's well written, but it's only been like two seasons, and you kind of there in the back of your head like this will get cancelled. Like someone's not going to see the beauty in what this is. I think the other problem today, not not to get not to get too deep into the subject, but even if you come out with a super positive, you know, diverse foot mm-hmm. forward kind of thing someone's going to bitch about something or somebody's going to be offended by something somehow you cannot like you cannot avoid offending somebody today Can no matter what it is Muppets? that just happened literally i'm talking yesterday that. oh really yes unfortunately and i'm very put off by that um I don't know if you are familiar with the Muppet History Twitter account or the Muppet History Instagram account. They are, are, it's it's run by two people, a couple, and they are just the sweetest people ever and huge following, hundreds of thousands of followers. And every day they, they post really positive, fun things about the Muppets and about the history. And it was yesterday that they had posted um, that the new Muppet Baby series that's currently out right now, I think it's on Disney Plus, um, Mm. that there is an episode or there's some sort of situation where Gonzo wants to dress like a princess, wants to wear a princess dress. And everyone, you know, people with intellect and souls look at that and say, that's that's great. That's such mm-hmm. like that's that's wonderful that you know he can he can wear a dress and you know he wants to be a princess and I mean the Muppet Babies for me can do anything and it's adorable and yeah. I don't care what it is. I mean they can rob a liquor store and I'd think it'd be adorable. But at the same time, as soon as he posted this and said, "Look how positive this is. Look how mm-hmm. you know," he got bombarded with. Yeah negative, nasty, ignorant, stupid, backwoods hick comments that I just don't get it. And the fact that these people are so triggered by something like the Muppets, like, or sorry, Muppet babies. Yeah. They're so upset. Not even full Muppets. Yeah. Right. And there's something like the Muppet babies are wearing um, a male Muppet baby is wearing it or wants to wear a dress upsets them that much. Yeah. Like what universe do you live in? It's like, it's, come on. It's such a, it's a strange thing to have to kind of like comprehend in our day and age of just like, there is this thing. And I think that's, that's, that in a way kind of a bit of insight into how the Muppets kind of came and managed to take such a foothold is that it got to people gradually like right. it was a thing of just like came out i mean I'm, I'm in the uk so it took time to kind of get to us and you guys had the fraggles though right fraggles we had the fraggles the yeah yeah fraggles were like a thing my parents talk a lot about the fraggles and we had like little bits kind of seep- seeping in and like sesame street like mm-hmm. made its way over here and then all of a sudden it was like oh it's the muppets whereas now it's like information when you put it out there you're not dumping it into a viewership of 100 people hoping you know 50 of them like it you're dumping it into millions of people and the people who respond to that 
are people who are already upset, already angry, already got an axe to grind. So they're just going to respond <sighs> anyway. So you end up with like nothing but negative because there's never going to be a thousand people who are going to sit there and like, yeah, yeah, this is really good because they see it and they move on. Whereas someone who's pissed off, regardless right. of theory will go oh no i'm gonna i'm gonna describe about this for hours because fuck it i ain't gonna lie yeah yeah it's i just i was i was so just just left such a bad taste like come on the muppet babies and you're gonna you're gonna flex on twitter about your disgust over it give me a break please go get a life get a job get out don't don't be here i mean in, in that case anyway it's gonzo and he's just a whatever so Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's the other thing. He's a. He's not. He's a I don't know if he's. Ge- he's married to gender- a chicken for Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah, let's well, let's get down to the nitty gritty yeah. here and talk about that. You know, when you're offended by Gonzo in a dress. The man is married to a chicken. <laughs> he's an alien who's married he's to an a alien, chicken. right? So yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think I think yeah, that's, it's it's kind of one of those things of, and I, I think it's it's is for like people like us who have a, such a an invested interest in such a product as like as it is because it becomes more than the product, it becomes something which you participate with, whether you want to or not. In your day to day, something will trigger you and be like, oh, I remember that that's in the Muppets. <laughs> so when people kind of come attack it, it's like, oh no, actually this this cuts slightly deeper than you know someone drive by yeah. insulting me. Yeah. Which brings us on to a nice point of how did you get into the Muppets? It's funny. You know, people people assume either my house is like full of them right mm-hmm. now. Like I've just got this Muppet museum going on or that I was like a super fan or I knew everything about them. And that's actually not true. I, I mean, like everybody else, I grew up on the street grew up on Sesame Street. Everybody did. Um, And me, I had the, I had prime Sesame Street in the mid to late 80s when it was just, that was. You had first run Sesame Street. I had had second run-ish. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were, I mean, they came about in the early 70s, like really hit in the early Mm. 70s. But I like to think of it as like the prime of, of Sesame Street at that time and of course you know that's how i think that's how we all really learned to count to 10 and how we really learned the the abcs as much as we could or like that extra boost um along with school you know like you come home and you watch sesame street and you don't realize you're learning but you are um after that i mean i always loved the original muppet movie i adored it that is my favorite out of all of them, the, uh, the 1979 film. I think that is the purest film they made. Um, not that the other ones aren't good, but that was the one that I would study to like get structure and facial features and stuff like that. I would mm-hmm. throw the movie on and like look really closely at them. But how I got into making them was... In 2011, um, I was sort of honing in on the skill that I discovered I had, which was being able to replicate things from photos um, into plush pieces. Friends of mine would give me 
photos of, well, here's this cartoon character or here's this, you know, comic or something like that. And they'd say, can you make a plush version of this? And I could <laughs> just on sight from these things. I had no patterns. I had no instructions. I had yeah. nothing. I had a, like a, a little Googled image and lo and behold, I could make that. And so a friend of mine challenged me to make Dr. Teeth uh, from the Electric Mayhem in 2011 said, can you make this Muppet? Because I love him. He's like my, my Muppet muse. And, and I mean, I knew who Dr. Teeth was and obviously I knew that'd be the Electric Mayhem and all that. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll bang it out for you and see what happens. And the first Dr. Teeth I made, he actually still has it. And I look back on it and it was, I hate I hate to say, you know, it was pretty good for my first attempt. Yeah. Like I'll look back at my old work and go, oh God, what was I thinking? But that one, that one held up. And so once I realized I could make a Muppet, <laughs> it's like, huh, I wonder how many else I can make here. Yeah. So it was more so me challenging myself over and over. And mm-hmm. because I knew that, again, the Muppets are universal, universally loved. So there's not going to be a bad one to make. Yeah. And so I dabbled in the different ones that I wanted to try out. And some of them were a complete disaster. I know that in the beginning, they were a complete mess. And I was, there's no way I was going to show them. Um, I'm just picturing like a garbage can full of like Muppet heads now. <laughs> I'm just like, no, no, no. You're not too far off. <laughs> or like, or just like decapitated Muppet yeah. heads, you know, some like scattered around my living room. That's like Frankenstein's Muppets. Just... Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I think, from what I can remember, Dr. Teeth was the first. Then I believe I did Statler and Waldorf. Pretty sure they were second. And then it's, then I did a couple of Sesame Street characters. At that time, I was just taking orders from my friends. Yeah. So, like, I were getting challenges from them and sort of just testing the waters with all that. I... I mean, since then, I had been, you know, offering them to whoever would want them or offering like, you know, I put them on Etsy and, and things like that. And it was just something that that I was doing and people liked them. And that was fine. It wasn't until recently that, and I mean, recently, uh, April or shortly before you got in touch with me um, is when for some reason, people started taking notice of this thing I've been doing for 10 years. Um, And it was, I had posted a photo of um, Bunsen Honeydew, uh, the scientist, uh, Beaker's protege or Mm -hmm. the other way around, sorry. Um, And I just posted a photo because I had not done a Bunsen yet. And I was like, oh, I, I made a new one. So, and it's been a while since I made a new one. So here we go. And then Twitter ate it. Yep. And then it sort of blew up into this big thing of like, oh, what are you going to make next? Or who are you going to make next? And I ended up making a series of absolutely new ones that I didn't even think I would be making. Yeah. Um, I made Sam the Eagle after that, which was a big deal. Because um, any Sam the Eagle plushies I've seen or even the little figurines that the actual company produces aren't great. So I, I think that's what struck me when I kind of saw your your work. 
like I saw it the first time and I was like, this is so close to like the original, obviously size wise, because they're not Muppet scale. <laughs> I just kind of saw it. They might be. Oh, they might be. Uh, here's- how big, wait, how big are they? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean but, like, <laughs> but like body size. Like, All right. I mean, obviously Sweetums is never going to be. Compare, I mean, he's pretty big. I mean, yeah. no, Sweetums is like seven feet tall. Yeah, you, know, you, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, not that I wouldn't love a full-size Sweetums in my living room. I would love that, but no. But like, he's he's almost two feet. Yeah. You know, this is this is the standard for me for making them. Yeah, I think um, that was the thing. It was like I saw them. It's just like, yeah, these look like if you if you to make stop motion of them, it's like yeah, this would just be like you're watching a Muppet film. Whereas when you see merchandise and you see products from like not even just like the henson production but just from anything is never quite right, right. it's never and quite that's right. the that's the that's the shit part about mass production yeah and the difference between what i do what i do is one person doing handmade work the stuff that they make is mass produced and outsourced so they don't care what it looks mm. like if they can just sort of make it look similar, then whatever. And because it's the only stuff out there, people will buy it and say, well, come close enough. Yeah. But then I came along. <laughs> and my, that everybody. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I came along and went, okay, no, these are subpar. And I actually care about my work and how things look. So I'm going to change it up. Um, and as much as I, I'm happy to get them that close, I drive myself insane. (laughs) Um, If one little thing is off, I will just notice it and not be able to unnotice it. Um, For example, with Sam the Eagle, his beak is a very specific shape. It is like the curvature and the width and the point on the end of it are so specific that if you, if it's just like a little bit off, even, um, even someone who doesn't really know them up it's that well if it's a little bit off they're gonna notice like it's it's that iconic of a beak and i toiled with that beak for days (laughs) just to get it right and as soon as i finally did it was like party time in here like oh man i was so excited about that i finally got the beak take that bit out solved it i like that though i like that i like that there's there's that level of i guess problem solving involved in this yes um <laughs> also obsessive compulsive disorder and perfectionism and <laughs> and just i have to get it right and also in a way because i admired jim henson's legacy so much i almost feel like it would be an insult to not do absolutely everything i can to get the characters right and to honor that legacy um you know people i hate i hate when people say my muppets as in oh you know those muppets that 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 are that are yours but Mm. they're not at all and i feel like they're on loan you know like i am replicating something from a master and i would never make it mine by any means and i think that's not the reason i haven't gotten sued yet 
Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that's interesting though because that's something which I've brought up kind of a few times with friends and and artists and, and bits like that. When you make work which is based on other people's work, like you, I, I know, like I'm, I'm very much the same. I wrote, I run this thing in my head where I, I like, in fact, the Muppets are the, the only thing I've ever replicated like as a drawing illustration i used them as inspiration for inktober and i did a series of muppet drawings and then at the end of it i was like i can't sell this because i feel like i'm ripping someone off <laughs> which is which is so dear to me as well but at the same time i was like i know it's removed and i know it's original i know i've put time and effort into it but in my head i'm just like no i can't go and do this <laughs> i you know i struggled with that at first yeah. and the truth of the matter is the actual bare bones independent Henson company died with Jim in 1990. And it was, it's awful. And I hate the idea of that, but after his death, everything, because it was so sudden and so tragic, everything just scattered and the company has been cut and cut and cut and cut into these little pieces. I mean, it still exists. There is still absolutely a Henson company. Um, but Parts are owned by Disney. Parts are owned by HBO. Parts are owned and outsourced to other other companies. Um, mm. With with me, I think the only potential I'd have of getting a cease and desist of anything would be from Disney. But I don't. They wouldn't really have a case with me. I mean, like I'm like a grain of sand on the Disney beach, like. I don't think I'm taking from their pockets. No. Um, I, I don't think I'm, <laughs> I'm not messing up their income at this point. Uh, so if they came, also at this point, I think if they came after me, there'd be a backlash <laughs> of people who really like my work. And they're like, why are you going after her when you produce crap products <laughs> and you're not giving us another option here? Yeah. Um, like she's making the stuff we want because you're right. not making and making the them look good <laughs> yeah and i'm making their product look good and putting my all into it i'm not peddling garbage in their name and i never would yeah. um i think that's the other reason why is that i'm not defaming them yeah i'm making their characters look good and you're not just uh, trying to imitate their stuff you know you're not going to no. the store and being like oh i got the disney model i can just remake that exactly exactly also with that i do not make the main characters and i will not make them no. i will not make kermit fozzy gonzo rolf or piggy and the babies the big the big reason is because disney does mass produce them yeah and because you can you can jump on Amazon and find a Kermit doll for twenty dollars, and it's it's pretty close. Like the main yeah. characters are are the ones that have been produced so many times, is that they're 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 pretty close. Yeah. So I'm not gonna mess with that. I like the secondary characters. I like the background ones. I like the ones that people have connections with that aren't the main set. Um. And I find them more fun and more interesting. I mean, Kermit, you know, he's he is an icon. I mean, you can't go wrong with Kermit, but he's not visually interesting. 
I mean, he's just a you frog. Know? <laughs> he's a frog. Just a frog. He is a frog. He's green. He's I mean, got this big poses, eyes. You know, we're going down this route, but this poses the question of what's your favorite, favorite Muppet? Sweet. <laughs> this is why I've only made one and he's right. nine. He's yours. Staying forever. Yes, he is. Even you though can make a giant I... one, which you could sit in like a chair. Don't <laughs> tempt me, because I so would if I had the time. I would. Love... That might seem harrowing though, because then it might just seem like you skin Williams to make a chair. <laughs> nah. But no, Sweetums. Sweetums has always been my favorite. He's he's cool. Why though? Curious. Because he's a seven-foot-tall, hairy monster with big teeth and a really gruff voice. But he's really just nice. Yeah. And he's helpful. And he wouldn't hurt anybody. And he wants to, and he wants, he just wants to go to Hollywood with them. Um, That is one of the best moments in that film of realizing that he's not. Trying to hurt them. It's it's that it's the don't judge a book by its cover kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I I like that about that character is that he looks so menacing and is so huge, but is just so kind. Yeah. And that I can relate to that a little bit. I guess maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's that's the truth though. I think like. Because so me and a fair few of my friends are a fairly Muppet fandom ish, not like mega fans or anything like that. But we all kind of said is like you pick your Muppet on what you most relate to, like, right? You know, no one watch, watches the Muppets and goes, oh, "I like that guy because he's you know just a blank statement dog like Ralph." Just because Ralph, if you can't relate to Ralph, it's not going to be your favorite Muppet. Like, nope. No, nope. you have to you have to find things of your own personality or things that you'd want yeah. or things that you want your personality to reflect. And that's why also the Muppets are so genius, because there are so many personalities. Yeah. Not one of them is the same. And people can pick and choose who their favorites are. Yeah, I think that's important to kind of look into. I mean, going on the basis of. Um, not judging a book by its cover or someone who makes Muppets, which are obviously quite lighthearted and friendly things. <laughs> what do you have hiding under the surface? <laughs> As someone who's, oh. you know, seemingly quite dark from the outside. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I mean, th- that's the other funny thing is that I hate, I don't want to use the word young because I don't feel young, but people think of a seamstress as somebody who's like 65 and, yeah. you know, the gray curly hair and, you know, does it like bad eyesight, that kind of thing. I mean, people don't believe that's what I do when they first meet me. Like, you sew professionally for a living and you make Muppets like you. And yeah, that's me. Um, yeah. I, I love my work so much that... I think any kind of outer whatever with the tattoos and the pink hair and the big ears and all that, that overrides. Um, And I think people see that of how much I love my work and it Mm -hmm. goes into that. But 
now that you're bringing it up, it's funny because the other obsession in my life is true crime. And I feel like I could have a PhD on the subject of Ted Bundy. Um, when I'm, when I am making Muppets, typically there's some really horrible true crime show going on in the background just for noise. Uh, you know, I could be, I could be making this really lovely outfit for, for animal or for Janice. And I'm hearing something about like, and then they found his head in the dumpster and, uh, we couldn't identify it. And, uh, you know, like that's going on in the background while I'm making these lovely, lovely little creatures. I think this is all, all I can picture in my head is just like a picture of your bookcase, which is just like, oh, Henson's Guide to Animals, Helter Skelter. And that's like, <laughs> I'm going in my in my bedroom right now, right? Right underneath the right underneath the night table, there's uh, the Ted Bundy biography. So <laughs> I think that it's strange, though, because I think this is this is almost a trait of people who who look to the Muppets like. I have yet to make that correlation. If I, that's true, that's awesome. It's this. It's just this strange thing, which I like. I don't know. It's, it's like so. You get people who are into I don't know, like another franchise. I don't know why off the top of my head, but I'm going to say Hello Kitty, right? So you get like Hello Kitty and people who are, who are into it, who are like you know read about it and, and know everything about it. It's like they have a personality type which is is quite positive, and they're, they they like that Hello Kitty is very positive and everything like that. But because the Muppets have this level of adult topic and adult humor thrown into a reality which is not adult in any way shape or form it means when you meet fans you're like oh so you're into the muppets it's like yeah yeah but also you know dead people <laughs> i like the funny thing is <clears throat> it, it's so not the gore it's not no. the blood and the guts and anything that i'm interested in it is the psychology of of true crime and of, of serial killers and how they are so good at being social chameleons. That is incredibly interesting to me and also terrifying. The yeah. idea that they are so good at this and that their brains are so messed up that they can still switch back and forth. And it seems like with each serial killer thing I watch, there is such a correlation between all of them. There is such a line that they all follow no matter what. And it took so long for that line to be discovered and broken down and say, okay, these are warning signs. This is what might happen. This is what you need to look for. And it took forever. And I find Bundy being the most interesting out of all of them because he was the OG. He was the normal, intelligent, good looking, you know, um, charismatic person that nobody suspected and was not on anyone's radar and he got away with murdering 40 women without anyone blinking an eye at him because he came off as normal and it was so easy for him because he was intentionally um, ignored as a right as a person um, yeah. and that that i just find fascinating i just the mm-hmm. mental aspect of it and the other thing is you could not pay me to watch a horror movie. <laughs> I hate the horror genre. <laughs> I could not sit through a slasher film without covering my face and my ears. 
I could not do it. Could not watch it. Ugh. You won't do gore. You won't do slasher flicks. However, you are covered in tattoos, so are okay with needles and blood. Of course you're okay with needles, because you're a seamstress. <laughs> but at the same time, appreciate the psychology of serial killers. Yes, but... You don't see a correlation <clears throat> with Muppets, which is people putting on characters inside inanimate objects, which is what serial killers tend to do. Look at you. <laughs> Look at you making that connection. I never thought of that. I'm serious. I have never thought of that. That is, that's good. That's very good. Sure, we'll go with that. Yeah. Anything to make anything to make me look a little more normal. Well, I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, we're all. This, but the thing. Yeah, we're all. Well, not only that is that I know so many women who love true crime. It is a woman's genre. I'm not kidding about that. It is just you know mothers of small children who can't wait till the kids go to bed so they can watch the next true crime thing on Netflix. Like. It is, there's something about it that draws women. I don't know what it is or the fascination behind it. Um, but every kind of personality type, it's not just the dark people who are into yeah. it. It's the, the light people who can sit and watch something about Jeffrey Dahmer and be fine about it. It tends like, to be more the light people who are interested in it. Like it, it, again? You, it tends to be more the light people. Who, who are into it, like the people who you kind of look at and you go, yeah, there's nothing particularly dark about you. And then they go home and they watch a lot of true crime and a lot of horror. It's, it's, it's I, I remember, I remember reading um, something about it and they, com- they compared it essentially to pornography because they said that it was like, well, no, it's, it's, it's pornography for women because it's, it represents these extremely dark, scary situations but they're in complete comfort of your own home. Right. And right. you're completely That's safe true. and you know there's no one else around, but also you feel like you're getting a lot of information from these documentaries on how to protect yourself. That is huge. And yeah. that is something I thought of as well, is that I feel like after all I've watched is that I'm, I don't want, I don't think anybody's ever prepared for these things to no. happen, but if they did, I have a better understanding of what I should do or how mm. I should behave in those certain situations. If I ever was attacked or if I ever was threatened in a certain way of the steps that I should take in order to avoid this outcome. Yeah. And I think that kind of education is comes from that. You watch all, all you're seeing are the absolute worst case scenarios yeah. of they didn't do this. So this happened. So, okay. Mental note. Don't do that. <laughs> Um, it sort Ooh. of builds up, and it, I mean, even in my even in my mind, half the time, like you know, if I was getting attacked or murdered, I, you know, you got to make sure to get their DNA under your fingernails <laughs> as much as you can, because they're going to go right after that. They're going to find out who it is through the fingernail DNA. Um, that that's like ingrained now, like that kind of thing. It's like make sure to leave your fingerprints yeah. everywhere if you're abducted, or. You know, <laughs> leave the clues um and i'll watch the the old crime shows like i when i was young unsolved mysteries was mm-hmm. the big thing and of course as a kid i was terrified of the theme music uh, but now it's my ringtone on my phone uh but i'll watch those old episodes from the from the late 80s 
And it's funny because I look at those mysteries and those unsolved things. I'm like, A, if anyone had a cell phone, then this wouldn't have happened. Um, <laughs> if there was any kind of advanced technology, none of this wouldn't happen. There'd be no series. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, cell phone would have taken care of this whole problem. Uh, the fact that everybody's filming everybody now would have taken care of that whole problem. Um, crime was, I want to say, easier to get away with then like oh easily you, definitely yeah it's really hard to do these things now and not get caught <laughs> you sound so disappointed by that though. <laughs> it's so hard to there, get away with crime nowadays guys <laughs> no no but like there's something more eerie about watching an episode of unsolved mysteries from 1988 where it's yeah. sort of grainy video footage and then it wasn't solved and these people literally had no way to contact somebody else if they needed to, that there was no internet, there was no nothing. And there's something intrinsically scary about that now. While at the same time, it's also scary being in constant contact with everybody all the time. It's a whole set of new problems, which we've presented ourselves with. I mean, I mean, I, I always find it interesting just kind of, to draw a brief correlation is that see prime time for serial killers was prime time for Muppets. <laughs> the rise in the seventies of everyone getting killed. And then the introduction of a television show, <laughs> which was occupying all children. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, that's what that legacy was. Well, but. you know, the history of Sesame Street's kind of interesting. They had, they were such a, a wonderful, wonderful creation. And the purpose for that creation of Sesame Street in the beginning was to give inner city kids who had lackluster education, lackluster school buildings and supplies and stuff like that, for them to go home and get more education for free. That was the focus to hone in on that group of underprivileged. And that's that was beautiful. That's a beautiful thing to do. Um, at that time, unfortunately, it, it seemed like there was a few characters on that show that ended up with really bad endings mm. um one one human character in particular and of course his name escapes me and it's gonna kill me because i don't remember his name but he played a very happy-go-lucky like street kid on yeah. sesame street and he ended up having a very bad mental illness that caused him to go crazy on the sets and you know bipolar swings and whatnot and of course then there was no real diagnosis for these things they didn't know what's going on so they just kind of fired him and said okay you gotta go he ended up going on a crime spree he ended up in a mental institution and and died of literal psychosis because he was so out of his mind and that is so sad and the idea of somebody like that being able to perform on Sesame Street as like this happy kid. Yeah. Um, also, the other the other very sad thing is lots of the puppeteers and the young men that worked on the show 
in the early 80s, mid 80s, passed away from complications of AIDS. And that there was a lot of them. And that is absolutely heartbreaking. It was, I mean, it was, that was the pandemic back then. And to read like the list of how many died and they were so young and including Jim Henson, including the ringleader who this fluke of a death that could have, if he had gone to the hospital a couple hours earlier would have survived. And the twists of fate and and stuff like that. It's, the whole history is so fascinating to me. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. I find the, the it's one of those shows and it's one of those premises and, and franchises where you kind of, the more you read into it, it's, there is obviously, there's always going to be tragic moments, especially those time periods. I mean, there's tragic moments nowadays, but when you read back at it, you're like, yeah, this was, you know, this was a different level of tragedy because situations were even worse so to speak mm-hmm. <clears throat> depending on obviously who you are within the world um but it is one of those things that when you read back through it i i think it it differs from a lot of origin stories of shows like like we were saying earlier you know we were saying right now it's you're not going to go viral with every post someone might pick you up if you get lucky at some point and that's what like singers really aim for and that kind of thing whereas with the likes of the henson company and the origins of making things which were like this it was a real gradual build which was Mm -hmm. driven by jim hansen which is such an inspiring story in a way like because it wasn't an instant success because it was not even remotely an instant success i mean he was he was doing little bitty commercials in the mid-60s before anything like that happened and he was an unknown and he was 30 years old i mean he he had been working all the way up and nobody knew who he was until slowly but surely i mean today he probably would have gotten famous a little faster but yeah then like he he was a full-grown adult by the time he reached full success I mean, in his 40s. That's a hard sell as well, being a full-grown adult and and going into a media company with puppets. Like, even even nowadays. They were magic. Yeah. They were magic, and they were perfect. And like you said, that there's a a hint of adult humor. There's a hint of snark, I guess you can say. Um, If you watch the original Muppet Show from the 70s, like, my mother, my mother watched it, and she was... In the early 70s, she was in her early 20s. And that was like the go-to show, you know, um, for people her age, for mm-hmm. older teens, early 20s. Like it had the cuteness, but it had a little bit of the edge and the snark and the and the guest star. And you know, like that that was very <clears throat> I, I want to say that was a Henson niche of yeah. the the sort of ambiguous snark. Like, you know it's there, but it's not in-your-face extreme. Yeah. I think that's why it did so well in the UK as well. Like, it's... Oh, are you, are you guys into that stuff? I had no idea. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it, it's one of the strange things. Of not everything does translate into, like, right. internationally. And I know, like, my mum, for example, wasn't allowed to watch The Muppets as a kid. Because my grandparents were like, no, 
we're not we're not watching Aww. it. It's, it's like an American show and blah blah blah, and it's stupid and all this kind of stuff. And then later on, obviously, they they succumb to everything because of uh, Christmas Carol, which obviously broke everyone's tear ducts. Oh, yeah. um, but yeah, yeah it, it was one of those things of like when it came over, it's like it's very dry for, for oh, yeah. an American children's show. It's very dry, and we respond to that. So. <laughs> See, I I had an appreciation for that too because I really loved Wallace and Gromit, oh. and that was something that my father showed to me when I was a kid and there's a, a perfect amount of snark in there too. And a perfect amount of dry humor and, but also so charming and so sweet. And I loved the, the claymation. Um, so I had that coming up with it too. It's always been the background. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned once. Appreciate. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Wallace and Gromit was my first childhood love and followed by the Muppets. (laughs) Right. I mean, that that was that was the big show. Um, And. I I, yeah, yeah, I must have been. been Maybe 10 or 12 when I first saw Wallace and Gromit and and fell in love with it. And then they did like those really not good movies, American movies, follows up, followed up like Chicken Run and. Uh, There's another one, I believe. Yeah, I, do love, I love Chicken Run. I d- eh. I hate Mel Gibson. Yeah, so. that's the problem with Chicken Run. It's like you can if you can ignore Mel Gibson yeah. in it, you still get the rest <laughs> of it, and it's quite dry. But you look at that rooster, and you're like, that's just Mel Gibson. Yeah, you know he get him out of there. But um, but no, like pure Wallace and Gromit, you will yeah. never be able to duplicate that or make it make it American in any way. Thank God. Um. That was, yeah, that was a huge part. I very much appreciated that. Also, I mean, I loved Gumby growing up. Like he was also claymation. Yeah. Um. So I had an appreciation for that already of the, of that um, of that medium. So it's just something. It's something. I, I know your culture. My culture. <laughs> My culture in England. It's more than football and tea, honestly. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> it's 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 a strange thing of like trying to define it when you kind of discuss it but at the same time it's just something about taking an inanimate object and cramming a personality into it and then right. as human beings we get so attached to it more so than any live action show like ever and i don't know why <laughs> i know why you tell. because they can't die true they can never they can never leave you no they are there forever that's also kind of terrifying boy i just is such a sad turn but that's why is that you you can get attached to that and they'll never leave you i think that's nice in the sense of because one that's terrifying because the idea of a being (laughs) which could live for ever <laughs> doesn't die it doesn't stop it doesn't eat what do we do <laughs> yeah but at the same time though it's nice because it's it means you can replicate the feeling you got with anyone else you meet that you can take you know a muppet show and you can show it to a kid and they will get the same experience you had because there's something right. slightly uncorruptible about it that's right even with the tragedies which can happen and 
you know, vaccine stuff. You never see all that. You just focus on what's in front of you, which is a ball of felt. Putting it, putting it simply, yes. yeah. <laughs> so there's something in my head where I'm, I'm, <clears throat> every so often I'll be watching something like this or like a puppet show and think, their eyes don't move. Yeah, in my head, their eyes move. Like they're expressing way more, but they're expressing way more than what's actually occurring on screen. Right. And that, that's, that's the genius of actual puppeteers, um, of the people that are controlling the movements. Um, that is a brilliant skill. Um, I know a few, uh, Henson puppeteers who have actually done the movies and done whatever, uh, commercials, things like that. Mm -hmm. And it is a craft. It is acting with your hand without being able to see it and um, incorporating your voice. So it equals the same amount of time to move your hand. And like you said, exuding emotion without eye movements or without real, I mean, they do little facial expressions yeah. like when they grimace or whatever, but making those emotions known through your hand and through your voice and doing it in sync that is a crazy skill yeah um something i could never do (laughs) uh but very very impressive to watch yeah as kids we watch that and we we fill in the blanks that's right that's right you it's the tone of voice it's the subtle movements you know what they are getting at with that. It's made a weird correlation in my head of that when you watch the Muppets, you're learning to read personality, not based on facial expressions. That too. Which links into being able to read serial killers because they're faking their facial expressions. (laughs) It's good training is all I'm saying. Like we lost the Muppets. We started doing true crime. (laughs) I am going to go into like a, a spiral later about all of this of like the mind spiral of like, wow, all those connections and everything fits. And do that's like really because I like the Muppets. Yeah. Or do I like the Muppets because I like true crime? I'm going to have to figure that one out. I'm going to really have to toil over that one. I don't feel like it's a question we can answer today, but I feel like it's something yeah. everyone should ask themselves right now. <laughs> I think that's a great homework assignment. Yes. Yes. It's a good point to round us out on as well. As we come to the end of this show, it's been lovely to speak. My Emily. goodness. Has it been that long? It has Jeez, been almost we an hour. on a tangent. Can I say one thing though? Go for it. I want to thank every single person who has liked my work who has supported my work who has said really lovely uplifting things to me have been so supportive and have given me amazing ideas for commission projects I love hearing those ideas I love being influenced by other people's fascination and love of the Muppets and I am so appreciative of all the support it keeps me going and I love what I do so thank you to everybody and they are very important. And you know, we obviously hope you continue doing all of these things in the future. I'm not going to stop. These babies are on a roll. As such, you should tell the people where they can find you. Well, I am 
all over Twitter like a bad rash. My uh, my handle is BX Personified. Um, I am also on Instagram at Axe Personified, if you can see the theme going on there. Mm-hmm. And my Etsy shop is Battle Axe Custom Sewn. Nice. That's where you can find my work. And I'm sure people will. And they definitely should because I was. And they have been. Enamored enough to come find you and say, hey, come talk to me as a random person out there in the world. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's You're welcome. Cool. Hopefully it's not been too painful. It was an enjoyable not at all. journey through the, the Muppet universe and the true crime universe, which we touched into and the strange correlation between the two. Trying to figure out the title for this in my head. To, and uh don't know what it's going to be, but... <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see it. It'll be a pun of some sort, I'm sure. I'm good. I would have, love it. It'll have to be. But thank you for coming along. On that note, we will talk to these guys later. <laughs>